So back in season one, if you tuned into the episode we had with Carl Anthony, the managing editor of Automoblog, then you'll remember the conversation we had around the importance of being a subject matter expert of the industry that you're in. Today we have Taylor Kirkendall with us. He is a senior mining and energy reporter at S&P Global. And the story he'll share with us is another wonderful example of why it is so incredibly important to be a knowledgeable resource on the topic or industry that you're representing. Welcome to the show, Taylor. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you having me on here. Yeah. Jacqueline and I, we don't know any, well, I mean, I know some <laughs> stuff about the energy sector. I'm, I've I know follow so. along. <laughs> well, it's a fascinating topic. I think that uh, if, we, if we dive into it, you're going to really, really get into it by the time the episode's over. Okay. Yay. I'm I love your hobbies and interests. <laughs> oh, you do? <laughs> cool. So now um, the story we'll be referencing today is one that wasn't technically pitched to you via email, I don't think. And I could be wrong about that. It was not. You're right. Okay, cool. So before we even talk about how it came to be, maybe it would be most helpful if you first give a brief summary of the story and then we can go into uh, the fruition of it. Sure. Um, so what the story is essentially about is um, it, it's part of a series that we were putting together on how water issues are being impacted by climate change. Um, one of the things that I wanted to look at is you know, what, how mining companies are both affected by climate change um, and, and what that's doing to water availability, but, but also the risk that they pose to those, those water sources themselves. Um, so what our story is about um, kind of combines a lot of those topics and ties them all together into some new standards that they put together for tailings dams, which are essentially just these huge waste dams that mining companies um, put their, their waste into. And, and recently we, we had seen some, some major disasters um, that not only proved highly fatal, but also um, ended up fouling a bunch of, uh, of fresh water, which as climate change um, you know, increasingly affects you know, where our water comes from, how much water we have, um, that's a huge issue. So we wanted to dive into that, and I jumped into the mining side of it. Um, if we want to transition to how that story came to fruition, um, I had only kind of been tangentially um, aware of some of these issues before. I, I, my background is in coal reporting and energy reporting, um, but I've recently been expanding into some other uh, mining uh, materials and, and looking at other commodities. And, and this is a bigger issue outside of the U.S. Um, in places like Brazil um, than, than, say, it is back here at home. So I wasn't too familiar with the issue. Um, but then, you know, I've been attending some of these mining conferences, and I just noticed that it was increasingly a, a bigger and bigger deal that I was going to have to learn more about. Yeah, you mentioned in your email that you were at a mining conference and you were tweeting about the topic. And a woman named Jan, I believe, was the one who saw your tweets and then connected you with uh, the communications director of the organization that's highlighted in that article. How? Tell us more. Like, was Jan at the conference or was Alan at the conference? Sure. And, and I've got to say, I've, I make so many contacts through Twitter. It's um, it's kind of really? how I take yeah, kind of how I take live notes when I'm when I'm reporting, especially at conferences. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, I like to tweet out what's going on. And that's not only for the people that are that are like paying attention to me. Um, it's also I, I do I go back and reference it almost kind of like it's my notebook. Um, cool. But one of the cool things about that, especially if you're using some of the hashtags that are associated with the conferences already, um, is that you, you get to know some people and, and see how people are reacting to to what you're thinking about what they're seeing. Um, and that's what happened here. I'm not sure who saw the the, the tweets first, but but yeah, Alan Septoff, was, who works with Earthworks, was um, somebody that was familiar with my work, I think mostly through the coal sector. And, and he knew that I was kind of starting to cover um, broader things. 
um, he put me in contact with Jan um, and said that she was also at the event. And this is like a topic that she covers a lot. And he, he knew that I was like talking a lot about tailing storage facilities. Um, so he spotted this, you know, just made a quick email, um, let me know that, that he knew I was there, she's there, and he would like to see if we could maybe grab coffee or something and just talk about, you know, some of the issues going on. So so we did that. We set up something quick. Um, I don't think it lasted more than a few minutes, um, but we, we just had a, you know, quick coffee, talked about some of the issues. Um, and, and no immediate story, I don't think, popped out of that. One of the, um, the, the main thing was that she gave me a lot of resources to read about this. Um, this was just a topic that's not covered very closely by a lot of organizations. Um, and, and it's not like you can just go buy a book that's like, you know, intro to reporting on tailing storage facilities. Um, <laughs> so she kind of pointed me in the right direction on that. And since that, she's just been a, a really open source um, and someone to go to. And, and I would say, too, so because part of the challenge of covering energy and mining is um, that, you know, I'm always kind of balancing sources. And, and I chose this one because it was recent. But I, I would say the industry on the kind of other side of the coin has, has made similar efforts before like where they they notice i'm at an event and they reach out and then help introduce me to some of the people that are you know big players in the industry there as well um this is one of the more recent events and i, I thought it's just another really good example of how this wasn't a blind you know press release sent out to you know thousands of people hoping a reporter bites um this was someone that you could tell was just paying attention to their industry knew what was going on and um zeroed us out to kind of make that connection and and, and it's produced you know several stories since then that's really great. Also really fun for us to hear about this kind of stuff. We've asked a lot of guests before if they like to go to conferences and if they meet sources or PR people at conferences. And many times they say no and they kind of react like, what are you talking about? I just, I don't travel for work. <laughs> so it's cool. <laughs> it does you... vary a lot. Um, so I, I will say is like a, in the, being in the business journalism sector, and for, for those that don't know as much about S&P Global Market Intelligence, um, we're kind of, you know, we're, we're behind a paywall. We do put stuff outside of the paywall, but we're, we're focused on, on producing, you know, business intelligence news. So um, mm -hmm. a big part of that is going to these conferences and hearing what those people are talking about. So I, I did work at local newspapers before this and, and you're right, there wasn't as much travel um, available, but, but um, yeah, I, I find it just completely invaluable. If you, if you need to dive into a topic, you got to go and be where these people are talking about it. How are you doing this with COVID-19 impacting travel and, and probably your ability to meet people in person? How has that changed things? Oh, it's, it's changed a lot um, in some ways. In other ways, I've seen some really unique um, approaches and solutions to this. One, one of them was actually just last week, uh, the Denver Gold Forum hosts uh, Gold Forum Americas. Um, their online platform was was phenomenal. They had a series of, of uh, webcast events. So so whenever a journalist is at these events, we're, we're trying to connect, but but we're also listening to these conferences and presentations and trying to get news directly out of those as well, right? Um, so I, I could listen to those and kind of one of the fun parts about that was they were scheduled and they, re they released at a certain time, just like you were at the conference. Um, mm -hmm. But you could also download the presentation and you know enjoy it when you wanted to. Um, that's been pretty standard for what I've seen for these industry conferences. Um, but what they did that was kind of extra, I thought was nice, was um, they, they had kind of one-on-one -on -one meetings um, that they facilitated through the conference. And I, I wasn't sure how much time I was going to have, so I didn't, I didn't solicit a bunch of these meetings. But I got several invites from, from companies and got to sit down with CEOs and CFOs of some of these um, smaller gold mining companies um, and get their insight and pick it apart. It was, it was amazing. Um, usually it was three or four of us sitting in the room. Um, you know, and someone with the PR contact that, that, that set the call up 
And um, it was just really handy and they, they put it in discrete blocks. So everybody knew that we were going to be doing, you know, 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there. And, and um, got access to a lot of people that, you know, I wouldn't imagine I could just call up and, and, you know, book an interview for immediately. So I think that there's some cool things coming out of online and virtual conferences and, and, and we're starting to take advantage of that more. Um, one of the cool things that we're doing is that that's a really um, busy conference. There's a lot going on at once. Um, usually we send one person there just to be efficient, but now, you know, I can, I can have one of my colleagues log on and help me cover something if I can't do both at the same time, because, you know, th there's no extra cost in, in having them, you know, log online versus, you know, flying them to Denver. That's really cool. I love hearing that. Do you think that virtual events are going to be the way of the future in your industry? Oh, I see. A, I think a lot of people will move towards it. Um, yeah. I, I do think a lot of, so this is, that's kind of like, you're only hearing my perspective on it too. I think one For of the sure, things yeah. that you're missing is the, the people that are there at some of these conferences, they literally, they they go into some of these meetings, they make deals, um, you know, they're going mm. out to eat and, and they're doing more business. So th they're where I'm probably seeing all these advantages. I'm sure they're they're seeing some things that are a little bit- Disadvantages, um, I guess, yeah. Exactly. And, and, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, I love traveling around too. So um, I kind of miss going to some of those, um, but there is a kind of a sunnier side to it as well. Yeah, I remember trying to connect with a reporter at a conference and she kind of it's she also helped run the conference. So you could imagine, even though we connected on email saying like, oh, let's totally meet up. When I saw her at the actual event, she was running around like a chicken with her head cut off. So I could kind of see the advantage with a PR um, or expert uh, journalist relationship being a little easier and a little even more intimate, believe it or not, to be online. So I could see where that could be an advantage for like you, for instance. Oh, and definitely. And I mean, one of the things too that, that, you know, PR people should keep in mind is that a lot of the times we are there trying to connect and, and do all that stuff, and get, but we are also on a deadline to publish news yeah. as well, you know? Mm. So sometimes, some conferences don't. Um, some I go, I, I, I listen to the presentation and it's just a, it's a description of how mining works, right? There's no news there. Yeah. Um, and in that case, then we can connect and talk and, and do all that. But if, you know, a company comes out and makes an announcement that they're going to, you know, have net zero emissions by, you know, 2050, and that's the first time they've ever mentioned that, um, I kind of have to clear my schedule and write that before, you know, the competing organizations put that news out. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a, mm -hmm. that's interesting. That's super interesting. That's yeah. Cool. And, and, and usually, I mean, some of these conferences develop a flavor um, for which ones are, are which kind of conferences, you know, um, mm -hmm. there's just certain ones I know that I'm going to go and have great contacts, great conversations on the sidelines, but nobody's going to stand up and break news. There's others where you're like, you look down the agenda and you're like, I'm going to be so busy next week because there's a new story. There's a new story. There's a new story. Um, and I try to like, you know, I do try to like work my schedule around that. And, and I'll say too, I usually work longer days. If I'm having that kind of, of a, of a, of a conference, then in the evenings, um, I do try to make time for networking and, and and just going out and chatting with people that I'd like to be potential sources because really, I mean, that's that's what we're we're going for, right? Otherwise, we would just be live streaming and webcasting, you know, all the time. True. Yeah. I have a question about uh, I think going back to Jan, it sounds like she was able to provide you with resources that you weren't aware existed. And that topic isn't something you can necessarily Google and find resources on. So that's one way that a PR or an expert can be useful. What other additional assets can PRs or experts provide you with that you find most helpful? Yeah, sure. So part of it is like pointing me into some of this like objective, um, just really like, you know, data heavy, even data or um, information that I can, 
that I might've been able to find on my own, but they can get me there faster. Um, that's definitely a big advantage. But, but the other thing is, is, is offering kind of color for our stories, like things that they can, um, that they can say from a position of expertise that, that might be, um, said in a more interesting way than, you know, I might be comfortable trying to write out because I'm, I'm not as familiar with the topic, but, um, they can kind of lend that voice to the story, um, and make it a lot more interesting. Um, another one is just, um, keeping track of, of other, of the news outlets. Sometimes I, I do my best to try to, to follow all the big stories and my beat, but, but sometimes people that are paying closer attention to this are, well, I mean, they're paying closer attention to it. So, you know, they're, they're getting me, um, links to these stories that might not have crossed my radar immediately, or at least they're helping me get a head start sometimes, you know, that I can, if I'm going to be following up, I'm not, you know, a day behind versus just maybe a couple hours if they help send that along. Wow. So you get your news from PRs and experts, basically. Um, occasionally. Yeah. I mean, I would say like, so uh, a big part of my day is, is tracking down news myself. I mean, I, that, that's no question hours of my, <laughs> my day to go into like <laughs> scanning news wires. Um, but that's, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like I catch all of that. Right. Um, mm -hmm. several times I've had like companies or, or, um, organizations, you know, give me a heads up to like some article they, that they thought was, was, a, it was important to read. And, and sometimes I I'll get messages that are like, okay, I, I saw that already. That was, you know, the main story this morning. There's no way I missed that. Right. But like, that's helpful because sometimes you do wake up, you, you get ready and you get focused on something else and you miss that big story. So, um, while sometimes it's a little bit repetitive, I think that it's, it can be very helpful as well. And I, I encourage people, I know, I know some people, um, and you even see journalists sometimes complain about this, um, getting like kind of inundated with information. And I, I'm always like, I can, if someone asks me if, they, if I, I can be on their newsletter or if they can send me links to stories they find interesting, I'm always like, yes, please. If it's not, I'll delete it. Like if I miss <laughs> it, I might not get the story. You know? Yeah. When you're scanning newswires, what catches your eye? What, what stands out? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it can vary, um, all the time. So with us, what we're mostly looking for are things that are going to be material to a company's business. So things that, that might impact, you know, how much money that company is going to make or report because we're, we are focused on the business side of things. Um, but that said that that affects more things than, than most people would realize. So that, that means we're interested in really big environmental stories because that represents a potential liability to a company. Um, we're interested in lawsuits because again, might be a big liability. Um, if someone's got a new project we're we're on top of that, because obviously that's, you know, a new um, asset that they might be making money with. Um, so uh, mostly I try to look through the news with that kind of lens of, of how does this impact the business of the companies that we're, we're covering. Um, and again, that said, I want to emphasize because a lot of people think that, that means that we're not going to be like watching environmental news as closely. And I would argue that we, we probably watch it as, as close as, you know, most outlets out there. Um, just because that is something that, that ends up being material to business, especially these days. Um, I mean, one of the biggest, the hottest topics in, in our business is, you know, ESG issues, people covering environmental, social governance factors in businesses. Um, a lot of investors increasingly want to know, you know, what's your environmental record? Uh, what's your stance on climate change? Is your, is your, are your executives, you know, um, at gender parity or like, do you have, you know, problems like kind of up and down the organization that people used to kind of think of separate, I think, from business decisions a couple of decades ago. Before we move on to other topics, Taylor, um, do you have any final tips for PRs or experts who want to connect with you at virtual events or conferences? Sure. Yeah. I would say like the, the number one thing is um, 
do it early. Um, I would say that like sometimes like the story I told there, obviously that connection was made like in the middle of everything um, that happened to work out. And I'm really glad that it did. Um, but the earlier that you can get a, a contact, cause a lot of times, and I don't know how other journalists works, but I, I'm laying out like I'm, I'm connecting dots between the speakers and thinking, well, these people are probably going to say similar things. There's one of my stories and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to be doing at the conference. Right. So, yeah. um, getting in that schedule early is just essential. Um, and also like, I mean, just uh, don't be afraid to ask. I think that, um, I don't think that most PR people have, has a problem with like approaching people and asking them to, to talk, but, um, I would say that, yeah, just, um, it's always worth a shot. If, and, and one of the things that people don't take advantage of a lot at conferences is almost, I wouldn't tell them to say every conference, but a lot of the conferences you go to, um, that are especially smaller ones, um, the, the information packet has a list of the attendees, um, who they're with and sometimes a contact information. So a lot of times, um, that's just a great resource that's tucked away in the back of the conference packet that, um, nobody ever busts out, but, um, can give you like a real good clue about who's there and who you might want to reach out and talk to. Ooh, genius. I love that tip. It's bringing me back to my Weber Shanwick days. We had to do this for one of my clients. Um, I I guess I can say it. They were representing the Amazon and they, they were going to this big tech conference and it was, I come from more of a digital marketing SEO background. So this was a brand new task for me, but I had to look at the attendee list and basically put together this book or this brief of all of these reporters who will be there and gather their recent articles and basically give her talking points for what she should tell them when Mm. she meets with them. And of course, I had to book the meetings too um, and reach out and ask if they were able to meet with her. And I completely forgot about that. And this is really relevant and it's, it's really smart. Yeah, and I would say too, it's um, it can be a little awkward if you're if you have it out and you're highlighting people's names, um, and you happen to be sitting beside of that person. I have had that happen, and they're like, <laughs> like, am I on the bad list? I was like, no, you're on the good list. Let's let's talk. Like, I'm I'm glad you're here. Um, that can be fun. Like, because I, I usually assemble my list of names from that, and then that's kind of my like my target as I go around, like you know, staring at people's name tags instead of making eye contact. <laughs> yeah, been there. <laughs> <laughs> I miss conferences, personally. (laughs) Oh, I agree. Okay, cool. Let's go ahead and transition into cold pitching. How do you prefer somebody to reach out to you with a story via email? Um, Yeah, so I mean, I think, first of all, email is definitely my favorite. Um, Cold phone calls are almost never, like, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, I think in the time that we're in, it's just, it's, um, it's just not the most handy way to to reach out to someone, right? Um, Via email, I, I like the, um, I like to get as many pitches as possible. Honestly, I, I I know that that's a big complaint in the journalism community that they get all these unsolicited pitches and, and don't get me wrong. I think one of the more annoying and frustrating things is, is when you get one that's that appears tailored to, to the, the person that it's sent to, but it's like clearly the wrong beat. Um, I get invited to like um, all kinds of like news releases about, you know, like, like ceramic, like pottery festivals and things like that. And I'm just like, that's not, close um that but even then I, it goes back to what i what i said before about emails is like i can delete an irrelevant email um i can't go back and like get your pitch that you didn't send me if like my competitor writes a story that, that you sent to them instead Ooh, um, that's a good so quote. i i prefer to get them um and and i say this as someone who's who's nearly neurotic about emails um i'm a big practitioner of like archive it delete it as it comes in 
Um, so you would think I'd be one of the first people to be like, don't send me any emails that aren't necessary. But um, I, I do think that like sending lots of pitches tailored as well as possible is, is the way to go. Yeah, I think I think if I could go back and just, just reemphasize that point, that's that's what I would say. Send me pitches that are relevant to my beat. They don't have to be the biggest news story or one that I'm definitely going to bite on. But that's those are what I appreciate that. Like, I know that you know what I'm writing about and I'm getting, you know, those relevant topics pitched. But what about follow ups? What if somebody follows up with you? I don't know, 50 times. Yeah. So I have mixed feelings on follow ups. Um, and, and I say this because <laughs> I, I have a couple follow ups um, sitting in my, my inbox right now that I've been meaning to deal with. Um, <laughs> it's it's rare that I missed an email. Right. Like I didn't. It's, it's, it's rare that I just skipped every email and went by. I, I'm sure yep. some people it just gets kind of lost in the clutter. And I usually appreciate a second follow-up um, just because sometimes things do float to the bottom of the inbox or uh, maybe I was busy when I got the pitch and now I'm not. Um, beyond that, I mean, I think that there's a degree of like, okay, let's let's be honest. I've seen this pitch and I'm just, I'm not interested. Um, and, and this is like something that it came up recently because I, I was talking to some colleagues and they talked about the struggle with um, responding to those. Um and telling, explaining to people that, you know, that wasn't their beat or anything like that. And it didn't really occur to me because, I mean, for the longest time, I've been, I receive a ton of these. I can't reply to all of them. It would just, yeah. it would take too long. Um, so I know some colleagues are doing that and, and that would be annoying, but um, my strategy is to generally kind of ignore those. Now, if it's something that's, it depends too, right? If, if it's something that's clearly been pitched directly to me, and this is someone that I've worked with in the past or, or or I kind of have a, a relationship with, I, I might explain to them why I'm not going to be picking up that story or something like that. Um, if I look up and see that it was sent to 20 reporters, I'm not going to respond and say that I'm not going to be getting to that pitch. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I don't want to try to like lay down a magic number, but I think the second follow-up usually covers it. Um, at that point, like if I was going to cover it and I just forgot about it, I'm going to contact you and, and let you know that, okay, I'm going to pick this up here soon. But yeah, um, 50 pitches is, that, that's like probably getting blocked. <laughs> yeah, that is that would be wild. <laughs> Understandable. It sounds like you're really good at archiving pitches that come your way. And uh, say, for example, someone shares an expert source with you or someone who's available for commentary on a topic. It sounds like you're really good at archiving that and saving it for the future. Or am I putting words in no, your mouth? <laughs> no, no, that's good. I, I have a folder for, for expert sources that I might want to contact later. Um, cool. One of my favorite folders is just called Exploring Big Ideas. It's that one where it's like, it's my folder where I drop things where it's like, okay, that's a really good idea, but that's going to, if I want to do it the way I want to do it, it's going to take me a couple days or a couple weeks and maybe I don't have time for it right now, but I'm going to put that in there for my like, those are the ones that I dive into and, and, and try to generate ideas before I go into like our weekly or monthly story meetings, you know, it's like where cool. um, I want to dive into that. Um, there's other that are more routine. Like sometimes we'll get just like, oh, here's a quote on this topic um, that you can use. And it's like, well, that might be good color for a story later. Um, I've got a folder that's essentially just like a bank of that kind of material I can dive into, um, which is handy because then I can search for like whatever relevant topic it might be. If I'm writing about, you know, joint ventures in the coal space, I can I can Google joint ventures in that folder and see what people have said about that. And, and you know, some obviously some some of that material um, is a little bit more. Uh, shelf stable than others but yeah i try to immediately direct stuff like in that like corporate emails go into a different folder that like i can go back and you know if i need to reference you know something from that it's, it's easy to find um i i do not to step up on a soapbox for this like inbox zero approach but it does really i think help me keep things sorted to 
to focus on, on like kind of answering emails as they come in or putting them in like kind of the right box to deal with later. That's, That's cool. music to our ears. I know yeah. we say that a lot, but it makes us really happy and relieved to hear that. And it gives us hope. Yeah. <laughs> so well, thanks I, I for being so, organized. Oh, no, I get so <laughs> nervous when I see people with like thousands of unread emails. Like it's, I get nervous for them. Um, <laughs> Sorry. And- <laughs> <laughs> we are guilty of that. I will say I am also not an inbox zero person, but to know that the people that I'm pitching sometimes are is really <laughs> <It's> helpful. <laughs> Um, oh, I want to go back to Twitter as well. I'm all over the place today, but you That's okay. mentioned that you refer to Twitter as if it were a notepad of sorts. Do people pitch you on Twitter or like tell us more about how you use Twitter? They do. I get a, I get a lot of direct messages. And I would say when I, when I say I use it as a notepad, I would emphasize that it is I do, it's still vetted. You can I would I expect everything I put on there to be like, you know, as as fact checked as I, as I would a story. That said, sometimes mistakes slip through. I try to correct those and delete them if possible. But but yeah, it's it's more of the um kind of unorganized thought process and, and hopefully I hope it's reflected in stories that I write that I've distilled that into something a little bit less freewheeling. It is it's, it's this this great like way to connect with people, I think. And, and don't get me wrong, there's frustrating parts of it. I think some of the the, the least fun parts of journalism or some of the, the kind of negative comments you can attract sometimes that, that aren't really contributing much to the discussion. And, and, and Twitter's a kind of puts a target on your back for that sometimes. But um, in general, I, I think it's just a great tool for connecting um, with other people. I've met so many sources through that just because, and it takes a while sometimes. I think I, I've, I've told colleagues this before that are just getting started on Twitter um, it's so hard when you get started because when you first get started, you're, you're tweeting into like a void, right? Yeah. You feel like you're just like sending messages into a hole that's going nowhere and you have to really build up an audience, um, especially. So for me, um, I don't have a really wide, like you know, hugely popular audience, but it, within the energy and coal space, um, I, I enjoy a pretty like people that are watching that sector um, are connected with me through Twitter and, and, and I, I watch them as much as they're watching me. And, and I think that that kind of, in that kind of like specialist way, you, you can really develop relationships with people that, that know that, that you'll have the answer to something and that you might be the person that, that should be the contact on, on a story. Um, I've had so many people come up on in, in conferences and be like, Hey, I've been watching your tweets. And I'm like, like, how did you know I was tweeting from here? And, <laughs> and some of them are like, I've followed you for a long time. I like, I like, you know, what you do with Cole and others are just like, uh, I got kind of bored and, and looked at tweets nearby me and saw you were tweeting from the conference. And, and so now they're following me and, and maybe I, I see what they're doing and it's interesting and I start following them back as well. Um, I would say too, sometimes, and I'm sure you've experienced this, Twitter can be kind of like a journalist's club. So you have like a lot of journalists interacting with journalists that maybe don't interact with other people as much. Um, but I think that that can also be valuable too, that in both in finding stories and getting my stories out there, um, to, to other people that, that want to you know read that and maybe base something off of it or follow up. That's really cool. I do feel sometimes like – like I wonder if well, – I follow a journalist or a reporter on Twitter if they notice that and if they notice if I'm sharing their content or sometimes it, it can feel like you're just shouting into the abyss with Twitter. So this is all really good information and a solid perspective coming from – someone who is in that world. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm cheering and fist pumping just about nearly every retweet. So <laughs> keep, it, keep it up. It's exciting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Taylor, you gave <laughs> praise to Jan Jan Morrill. I hope I said her last name right. I believe so, yeah. Okay. And we love asking reporters and journalists for specific people to give shout outs to because that also can make someone's day, right? Like just yeah. getting that recognition and pat on the back for doing a job that can sometimes feel like kind of a a schlep or like you're not getting anywhere, right? If nobody's covering your pitches or, you know, uh, including comments from your client and whatnot. So is there anyone else uh, that you'd like to give a shout out to? Yeah. And so this is um, someone that, that helped me out a lot when I was first getting started in the coal business. Uh, Jan's a good example of someone that's helping me learn, you know, in the the, the broader mining space. But back when I was covering mostly coal, um, there was a guy, Bill Bissett. He was with the Kentucky Coal Association. And a lot of times, because we're writing from the business side, we didn't have, we don't always have good news to write about the coal industry. If you follow that even a little bit, you know, they're not doing so hot and they haven't been for several years. Um, he was always really good at putting me in contact with people. Um, and I mean, he would send pitches about ideas and things that he, he was paying attention to in the space. And I don't know, I just, I just always appreciated his willingness to, when we, when we got to conferences, he was like, here's this person that's going to be good for this topic. Here's this person. And, and like, I don't know, he was just, um, he was enthusiastic about the coal sector. Um, and he was excited to tell that industry's story. And I think whether you agree with that or not, I mean, I think that that's something admirable that, that you know, you're not, because I've dealt with other, I've, I've come up against other, you know, types of, of PR people in the, in the coal space. It's more about delivering as little information as possible sometimes, or kind of, um, here's the, here's the company statement. That's it. Um, mm -hmm. in, and I just think it goes a long way when you're willing to, to sit down and work with, with, um, with people about, uh, with those stories. And he always did just a, a great job with that. He's, um, he's with the, I think the West, uh, West Virginia business group now and, and has moved on since then. But he, when we, when I first got started, he really, you know, helped me point me in the direction of the people that would help out, um, including some of the contacts I made with executives who I'm still able to call up today, um, largely because he made that introduction and was like, here's Taylor. He writes about the industry. Um, this is what he does. And I think he did a lot of work on that other side that I didn't see and I can't really speak to, but did a lot of work to kind of let them know that they were going to get their story told in a fair way as well. Right. He was a true connector. Yeah. And, and that's, and I think that's, yeah, I mean, it shows, I think that that's what he was passionate about was like connecting people and, 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 right. and he liked to, to, to read about, you know, the stories that we were doing. That's really cool. Thank you. I think Jacqueline had the last question. All right. Final question, Taylor. It's a tough one. Good luck. Um, so get ready. Um, do you have any final words of wisdom or advice for PR people looking to connect with you or anybody who writes about energy in the energy sector? What are your hard-hitting tips, final tips, if you didn't name anything already? Ooh, um, that one's really, that one is very hard. Because <laughs> um, I feel like we've covered so many of them. One of them is, yeah, just, yeah. I mean, send me good ideas, um, one of them. Um, I, I just the, make sure that they're, they're absolutely relevant. That's that's one of the, the first things. I if If I could, like, snap my fingers and, and change one thing about kind of what's going on on the PR side, it would be that kind of unsolicited off the wall topics that, that don't match the journalist at all. Perfect. Um, yeah. Cause it, it also kind of seems like an easy one, right? Like, I mean, it's like just send. You would think. <laughs> <laughs> you would really think, but it's kind of wild. Yeah. Oh man. That's a good one. Anything else? Um, yeah. Another one. Like, so, and I know this can be hard, um, especially when you first start working with a journalist, but like, 
um, kind of embargoed and held materials, I think, are just such a useful tool. Um, I know that that can be that comes with some issues and and can be a little bit sensitive. But even if it's not going to not going to share materials that are going to be released on a certain day, it's just so nice to have a heads up. Um, I think one of the the questions that come up a lot and and, and the, that you guys might have mentioned in the email to me is this um, the idea of when to send it uh, send a pitch. Yes. Um, and and that's. Um, something that I think is challenging because if it's in the morning, if it's, if it's at eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning, um, I've probably already laid out what I wanted to do that day. Um, and now you're not just competing for, with other possible stories. You're competing with like what I've already decided I'm going to start working on and maybe already started working on. Um, at five o'clock, five thirty, the story is kind of stale, right? <laughs> um, yeah. because mm-hmm. I've logged off for the day maybe. Um, and, and, by tomorrow that some, I'll know that other people have picked it up. So, yeah, I think that the, there is a really tough balance. There. And I think the answer is if, if it's something that you can control the timing on and you have the ability to say, Hey, um, I want to have this big news coming out this day. Let me know, like if you're interested in it and I can give you some more information and, and you know, you can drop however few or many hands as you need to, to get that across. Um, Cause I can say one of the things with one of the problems with that is that that, that works better with sources that I know and trust that are going to give, it's going to be a good story. Um, if, yep. if you are consistently giving great tips, um, I won't think twice about setting aside a Thursday morning to, to listen to your idea. If it's not, you might have to give a little bit more information about what's coming up. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that like advanced planning and letting people, let, letting us know what we can put on our agenda really goes a long way, I think. That's cool. So lead time as soon as possible. Exactly. Okay. That's good. Really good tips. Yeah. <laughs> That's an answer that we don't normally cover, honestly, like just the amount of lead time that people need and and prefer. I think it's also because I think it's also because it just doesn't come up with the constant I don't I for lack of a better word, like publishing frenzy that we're in. Yeah. You know? Like we're always thinking about the next thing. Oh, certainly. And so much of this news too is like, I I understand it's not going to like, you're not going to have any clue about it the day before or the, you know, the week before either. And and obviously we have to accommodate that, but yeah, it's just, it's just whenever you can, like putting something on someone's radar um, can just go such a long way just because it is like, I think that that is such a tricky balance. Like, yeah, I don't, we don't want to see pitches after five, but at the same time, you know, in the more, in the middle of the day, we probably have already started working on what we're writing and, and I don't know, there is maybe this like time in the morning when, when the kind of schedule's clear and that's probably the best when and might settle there. But, but yeah, the, the heads up is I think probably the best way around that when possible. Mm-hmm. I like that. I do have a comment. Something you said earlier that I just want to call out for listeners is I like that you said like, you can't see the email that the publicist ever never sent, you know? And I think yeah. that's important to keep in mind too, because you know, like as journalists get more and more emails in their inbox, like don't hesitate to reach out to more people as long as it's relevant and useful. You don't have to like comment on the sandwich they ate yesterday to slow yourself down, which drives me nuts. The idea that every single email has to be so personalized to the T. I think if you know the person and it's natural, it makes a lot of sense. But if you have a story to tell, and there's like, I don't know, 50 people you need to reach out to. Just cut to the chase, man. You don't need to like, I don't know, hesitate because you didn't have like the most interesting hook. Sometimes you just need to get the story out there. So thanks for right. the reminder. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think sometimes maybe you, you don't have a pitch that's like, 
going to be the lead feature story, but maybe the piece of news that you have like fits perfectly in some other feature that I'm working on or, or something like that. I just, I, I think that it, it's helpful. I mean, I say this and then, then maybe next week I'll have more emails than I can deal with in the morning, but, (laughs) but, but for now, like at the, the, at least the, the flow of emails that I'm seeing, which is not, you know, not a small amount. I, I think I would rather see something, you know, than, than miss it. And I mean, yeah. that goes even for like some of these, I mean, I'm, I'm subscribed to dockets and, and like federal courts, like systems, whenever there's filings in certain cases, and, and there's just a ton of them, but for the same reason, I don't want to miss the really important one that comes out. Yeah. I love that. Cool. Well, do you have any other final words before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I think that's, uh, I think that might be all I've got. <laughs> I think that was a lot. So yeah. <laughs> I've got a lot of notes here. Thank you so yeah. much, Taylor. So Thank nice you, Taylor. to you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another episode of We Earn Media. If you tune in often, Jackie and I would love for you to leave us a review. We're always trying to improve and it's so helpful to know what our listeners are finding most useful about this podcast. Until next time.